You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Great to be with you guys this morning, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you in God's Word. And we're uh, hit, we're over the halfway point through the Gospel of John. And uh, at this point in John chapter 12, the last nine or ten chapters, whatever the math works out to be, are all about just the very last week of the life of Jesus. So I don't know if you've picked up on that. Sometimes when you read through the Gospels, you kind of, you know, you lose sense of all of that. But John goes into tremendous detail about the, the, the sequence of events leading up to, to Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. And he just has raised Lazarus from the dead. And that miracle was kind of the, the crucible. That was kind of the, the shed water experience, whatever, when the leaders of Israel said, we got to get rid of this. Jesus, because he's just getting far too popular. Too many people are following him. His signs are too incredible. We just got to get rid of him. And so that was kind of the final straw, if you will, that they decided to kill Jesus. On top of it, Lazarus is now hanging around, and they're like, we got to get rid of that guy too, because everybody wants to see the one who is dead and who's now alive. And isn't it like the enemy to always to want to rob the glory of God? The enemy, that's his goal, is to always to hide and cover up and remove it. And so they wanted to get rid of Lazarus. So the world is coming to the Passover. All the Jews are coming from around the world to spend the, the, the celebration day. And the, the air is tense, if you will. There's people coming into town to celebrate the Passover, but they want to see Lazarus. They want to see Jesus, and so some are excited about that. Then others are tense, and they want to get rid of Jesus, and they want to see if they can catch Him and what's happening. So the the air is tense. On top of it, the Roman soldiers are there. You know, this is a big time, and so they have a, a show of force, if you will. Think about any major public demonstration or display. You know, the law enforcement is there to make sure everybody behaves and takes care of business. And so the soldiers are there, and Jesus knows that He's about to be crucified for the sins of the world. In the middle of that picture, He comes riding into town of all, on, of all things, on a donkey. And he comes in like the conquering hero. The Roman soldiers who would have seen that, and they were absolutely there, they would have seen that procession of Jesus in the parade, the impromptu parade of him coming into town. They would have made a mockery and laughed at it because they would have seen the spectacles in Rome when the conquering legions would come back and when at least 5,000 of the enemy had been vanquished. It was common for Rome to throw a a lavish party and with all the pomp and circumstance and all the, the military parade and to bring the kings and the leaders of those lands to put them on public to display, to shame them or mock them and ultimately kill them and put them to death. And so the the soldiers were used to that kind of that parade with their horses and all of the pageantry. And then here comes this one Jesus that Israel is daring to put their hope and trust in. It would have been a, a sham and a mockery. Just what a paradox for us to think about that, that our our Lord, the conquering hero, didn't come in triumphantly carrying a sword with all of his soldiers and all of the weaponry and armory, but he comes in just on a a, a little colt, a little foal, walking into you know walking into town. Well, this morning I want us to look at four paradoxes of the faith as Christians. Four things that seem to that shouldn't be right. But they really are. You know, a paradox is when things seem contradictory and doesn't seem right, but it's actually the very right thing. 
And Jesus shares with us four of these. He kind of shares with us what the heart of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, kind of the paradox that we should live in. I think they'll be self-evident as we go through them. But at the heart, these are four things that we actually have to think about, and we have to think and live and have an attitude that's very different than the world around us. So read with me. We're going to work. Technically, we're covering the rest of chapter 12, but I'm really going to just fixate on, I don't know, three or four verses. So read with me, if you would, verses 20 through 26. The Bible says this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, this is the Passover, were some Greeks. These are Gentiles. These were not Jews. Even the world was coming to see Jesus. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They wanted an audience. They wanted to talk to Jesus. His fame had so spread that it wasn't just the Jewish world who knew about him, but even the Gentile and the Greek world was there to hear and to see and to talk to one who walked on water, who raised the dead, who did all the mighty miracles and speaks the things of God. Philip, in verse 22, went and told Andrew... And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Something is going on in this passage that as Jesus gets word that these these Gentiles, these non-Jews were seeking him, that his explanation to his, his closest followers is that the time has come for me to be glorified. We don't know if Jesus sent word back, if he met with them. We have no idea. John doesn't tell us that. But there's something going on that when Jesus sees that even the Gentiles are looking for salvation, looking to him for hope, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is the one who would, would deliver the world from their sins, that, that he says, now is the time for me to be glorified. If you remember last week when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he intentionally delayed it so that he could be glorified, could glorify the Father and and show that glory. But that was only the precursor. That was kind of the warm-up band, if you will, to the real main stage is when Jesus himself would rise from the dead and he says, the time has come for me to be glorified. We need to realize that Jesus is not looking past the crucifixion to the resurrection. He's not looking past that. He's looking through that, knowing that before He rises from the dead and victory over our sins and death, that He must pay that price. And that's that whole picture that He's about to rise from the dead, that He will be on display for the world to see. In fact, I think it's verse 32, the Bible says that He says, I'm going to be glorified and when I'm lifted up from the earth and I will draw all to Myself. And He's getting a picture, giving them the manner of His death. He wouldn't die of old age. He wouldn't die of food poisoning. He wouldn't get some weird disease that He would be lifted up on the cross as He died for our sins. So four paradoxes that are important for us to think about. And the first one that Jesus says is that 
Truly, truly, whenever the Bible says truly, truly, it just means pay attention, heads up, notice this, this is important, get this because you can miss it. He says, I'm telling you, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The first paradox for our faith is that fruitfulness comes through death. Fruitfulness comes through death. Our effectiveness in our life actually comes from our willingness to die. Jesus, of course, is talking about His own death. He says, guys, the time has come for me to die. And when I die, I'm going to bear much fruit. I'm going to draw, in verse 32, all people to myself. I'm going to draw all kinds of people, just as we've been watching and learning from the Gospel of John that it's that, that those who his sheep hear his voice and they are drawn to him. They hear that and they come to him, and he's going to draw all of them to himself, but it is through his death that fruitfulness comes. It's through his death that life comes. It's through his death that he blesses others. The example he gives is a little kernel of wheat, a little grain, if you will. And I, I have never farmed a single thing in my life. I'm nearly not even a farmer wanted to be, to be real honest with you. I've never dreamt it. I don't think I ever wanted to be that when I was growing up. I'm grateful for farmers because I like to eat, you know. I, I'm so grateful for them. And I think, think food that's grown is better than food that's cooked up in a lab. I'm just saying, you know, as we kind of get into a weirder, weirder space of how that goes. And so I like that. But I had to Google it. How much grain, if you put a grain of wheat in the ground, how much comes out of it? Did you know the average grain kernel of grains will produce five heads on each stalk, and in each head is like 22-plus grains? Do the math quickly. That's like over 100 grains, another 100 more potential in the first generation of those things. But for that kernel of wheat that gets planted, it goes away. It disappears. It gets used up. It, in effect, dies. Now, scientifically, that seed is alive, and it gives life and gives birth. We understand that. But Jesus is talking to us more in the metaphor that we have to be willing to be like that seed that gives of ourself, goes away in the process, so that the fruitfulness of our life, in turn, blesses others. You see, fruitfulness only comes through our death. I'm not talking physical death here. I'm not saying you need to all be on a suicide you know, watch or that we have that, that kind of focus in our life. What Jesus is, He regularly said, He says, you know, if anyone wants to come after me, he must humble himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The Christian life, the life of following Jesus, is one in which we die to ourself, and we live for God. It is a paradox. It is one in which we take up regularly a denial of ourselves. We must deny ourselves, take up our instrument of crucifixion along with Jesus, and follow Him. That is such a paradox in our life, that we gain our life by losing it. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But it is a matter of fruitfulness and effectiveness when we put ourselves second, that we die to our desires, die to our wishes, die to our will, die to our purposes, die to all of that, and instead yield ourselves to God to use us in fruitfulness. See, everything in our life 
says that we, if we want to be effective in life, we should make the most out of it that we can, and we should, you know, be as effective and, and take control and to take charge. But actually, our fruitfulness comes when we give up, when we give up authority, when we give up trying to protect ourselves, when we give up and step back and to say, no, God tells me that I need to deny myself and I instead need to follow Jesus. You see, God wants to use each follower of His for His glory, but to invest them into the harvest and into the world around them. He wants to use each one of you as you follow Him and as you don't live life, as you stop living life for yourself, as you stop making the priority of your life what you want, making yourself happy, fulfilling your needs, taking care of your desires, protecting yourself, your interest in life. As you stop that, and instead, as you deny yourself, you say, God, you're in charge of my life. I want to serve you. As we do that, God uses us profoundly to bless the world around us. And we, by nature, don't want to do that. That's not who we are as people. We want to, nobody has to tell a two year old to not share their toys. You know, every two year old, immediately, mine. You know, hey, that's mine. Even if they're not playing with a toy, they, you know, you invite another kid over to your kid's house, a toy they haven't played with in the last two years, all of a sudden becomes their favorite toy just because their cousin, you know, decided they want to play with it or their neighbor came over with Because we at heart are sinful and we're selfish and we're self-focused. And Jesus tells us that as followers of Him, that has to be turned on its head, flipped 180 degrees, the exact opposite. And our brain says, but we lose. We don't gain in that, that we lose. And God says, no, you actually become far more fruitful and far more useful to me in the life around us. You see, these four paradoxes that we're going to look at, guys, they're completely 180 degrees opposite of the way the world around us lives. And there, that's hard because what that means is, is we really do as followers of Jesus, if we're following Him carefully, we are marching to the beat of a different drummer, if you will. We stick out and we're a little bit of an odd duck. We're a little, little different. We don't live that same way. And when you're a fish swimming in a different direction than all the other fish, you're going to bump into them. And there's going to be moments in your life where you feel odd. There's going to be moments in your life where you feel vulnerable. Wait a minute, if I'm dying to myself, then I'm at risk here. I'm at vulnerable. I'm going to be taken advantage of. I'm going to be seen as an idiot because I'm just, you know, I'm not watching out for me. I'm not taking care of myself and looking at what makes me happy in life. Jesus says, no, that's not your priority. Isn't the world around us tell us just whatever makes you happy, you got to look out for that and you take care of that? Jesus says, no, that's not for you. You get your hands off of that philosophy. You get your hands off of that attitude. I died for you to save you. I died to, for you to deliver you from all of that junk. And I expect different from you. So that means you and I have to be willing to look a little different. That means you and I have to look and be willing to feel a little odd at times, to be seen as maybe unwise to the world around us. But God calls us 
to deny ourselves in order that He can make us useful. Another thing that means is that you and I need to be willing to suffer. See, wherever God plants us, we need to be willing to endure what's going on. You see, God isn't most, God doesn't care the most about our happiness. Does He want us to have joy? Yes. But God wants us to be fruitful. And sometimes in being fruitful, we have to be willing to suffer. And that's not a popular message, you know. I don't know how much we'll, we would hear. Like, it would be interesting. It might be a little depressing if we could survey like all the sermons across the country, you know, or maybe even New York State, what the topics were. I would be willing to bet you there would be a very small percentage that would be on suffering. You know, who gets excited about that? I, I don't either. But what Jesus is telling us is that you and I are going to suffer along the way because that's what it feels like when we're denying ourselves and not taking care of ourselves. Like we have to endure some hard stuff. We have to go through some difficult things. We have to say, God, you're in control. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to live my life for you with what you think is important. I'm going to endure and I'm going to walk through and I'm going to trust you to care for me and help me to walk through this. It's not about me living my best version of me or having the best purpose, best life that I can possibly have, getting all that I can out of life and living it up and living the good life, all the things that the world tells us. Jesus looks at us and says, I want you to feel blessed in the life. I've given you this world to enjoy. It's not, we don't, shouldn't all just walk around just, you know, like, woe is me and the world's caving in and that kind of thing. But we along the way should recognize that our life belongs to another and that we live for Him. So first paradox is that we become fruitful in life. We become effective in life. We become even enjoyed and satisfied as we live for that purpose and not for our own selfishness. Our own... Whenever you've been really selfish, don't you feel kind of empty after that? Isn't that happiness when you've been selfish, whenever you've gotten what you want, isn't that really short-lived and disappears? I mean, it doesn't even feel good. You put it in today's term, I'll put it in words that today make sense. Selfishness is not good for your mental health. It's not good for it. It's actually better when you live sacrificially and give to somebody else, that feels far better in the long run. That is far better for your mental health. Get the topic off it. It's better for your soul because you're living your life in alignment with what God wants for you and you're giving yourself. That's the first thing. Second thing, second paradox. I'm not sure why Jesus rapid fire puts these in here like this, but these are profound and He just hits us one after another. The second thing is, is Whoever loves his life loses it, in verse 25, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The second paradox is that we, we live through like a, a rejection. We live through get, rejecting what the world has to offer. We live through that hatred. It's kind of hard to put it well in English, but... We gain by, by dying. We live by letting go of things. If you really love something or someone, don't you try to hold on to it? Don't you want to grab it? We, uh, a car that we owned uh, up to a few weeks ago, 
got rear-ended actually right out here in Western Ave. Just uh, my family was making a left-hand turn and somebody was coming down the road and just hit them and anyway, and you know how it is, you get rear-ended in the cars today, I mean, they're gone, they're totaled. It didn't even look that bad, but unibodies and all of that. And I kind of inside, I'm like, this is an old car, but I love this car. Like, this car's great, you know, it just fit. And I'm sitting there like, oh, this is terrible. I love this car. Whenever you love something, you want to hold on to it tighter, don't you? And the Bible says if you love this world and hold on to it, you actually will lose it. It's almost like the tighter you hold on to it, the more it's going to squirt out your fingers. You can't, you can't grab onto it. If you love what your life can have in this world and what you're trying to make of it, and your whole focus is trying to you know, be the best and get and whatever and live that way, you're going to end up losing it all. But if you're willing to give that all away and let go of it, to the point where you hate what you see around you, then you actually are going to gain it. You're going to gain your life eternally. The story is told Jesus when he's sharing this. These principles are not new. The Bible is so repetitive and Jesus talks so many different ways about these very principles. But another passage in the Gospel of Luke, he gives us an illustration that's helpful. He tells the story about Lot and Sodom and his wife. And we don't usually think about that piece of that story of Sodom anymore. We usually think about other things. But Sodom was a city that had completely turned their back on God. In fact, the cities in that valley had. And so God was coming to judge them. By the way, God is always looking at whatever nation, whatever city, whatever community, lives, whether or not people follow Him or not. And He will always hold people accountable ultimately for their actions and their behaviors and attitudes. And God said, it's time. I'm going to hold Sodom accountable. And, and uh, he wanted to bring out the godly, righteous people out of that city. And the only family that he could find was Lot and his wife and their daughters. And so he sent uh, in the warning, the, the angels to warn them and said, get out of here. Fire and sulfur, burning sulfur. If you've never looked at, look up what burning sulfur is. It naturally occurs. It's kind of wild when it lights on fire. It's just, it's kind of bizarre. It naturally occurs in the Middle East, back in that area where Sodom and Gomorrah was. And the angel said, get out. Go to the hills. Do not look back. Don't pack your suitcase. Don't worry about getting your, you know, everything ready. Leave. Like you are going to barely make it by the hair of your chinny chin chin. You know, get out of town and don't look back. And Jesus reminds us, he says, remember Lot's wife, because as they were leaving, apparently she missed what she was leaving behind. And she looks back. And the Bible says she turned instantly into a pillar of salt because she loved this world. And she's a picture that you and I should walk around in this world not loving this world. Now, God's not asking you to leave your home and run into the hills and all of that. But He's asking you as you live your life in this world to not set your heart on all that this world has to offer. I got to tell you, that's hard because there's a lot of nice, shiny things in this world that it offers. And there's a lot of stuff that we all want and have on our wish list. There's a lot of things that this world provides physically and intangible things with families and all of that. I'm sure she was looking back not just for maybe her, maybe it was her home. I have no idea. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's lifestyle. Maybe who knows? 
Maybe she left her iPad or her iPhone or something. It was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. There's nothing inherently wrong with all of those things. But when all of that and all of our life that we see in this world, when that becomes what we're trying to hold on to, the Bible says we ultimately forfeit our own life because we're living for something that's fleeting, that's ultimately going to perish and go away. And we forfeit it. But when we say, I'm not following that, I'm turning my back on all of that, and I want Jesus, and I'm looking for something bigger and better, that's what it means to surrender. That's why we use that word, because it's a turning back on, it's turning away from all of that around us. And the Bible says we will actually gain and keep our life to eternal life. It's a paradox for us. That's not to say you can't enjoy. I went fishing yesterday with my kids in the Skahiri Creek, and we kind of divvied up and all. There's always a little bit of like competition, you know, who can get the most and biggest and all of that. And I just try not to lose, you know. And at that point, I want to at least make a good showing. I don't want to get skunked. So anyway, I just, as I was in the river, just kind of in a moment, I just said, thank you, God, that I can spend this time with my kids because I know that I won't always have that. You know, I'm kind of at that stage where I'm seeing some leave and I'm kind of a little more reflective in life and all of it. Thank you. That's not to say that you and I can't enjoy the things in this life. We should. We enjoy them, but then we recognize where they come from <laughs> and that God gives them to us. And if I don't get that opportunity, then it's not the end of the world because I'm living for something bigger than those things. So you and I, make sure that you are setting your heart beyond what this world has to offer because if this is all you're living for, this is all you're going to get, and it's only going to go downhill and you lose it all. So Jesus challenges us, look for something bigger, surrender your life and follow Him, and check your heart with where your love is right now. Third thing, third paradox. If anyone serves me, he must follow me in verse 26. Service through following. This one might not be quite as big of a paradox as the others, but it seems a little odd, is it not, that you could try to serve Jesus without following Him? What Jesus is saying is, guys, I'm looking not just for your little acts of service. I don't need you to be my, my waiter or my waitress, my serve staff. I want you to follow me. I want you to give your life completely in following me. When Jesus went to the disciples and He was first calling them, He went to the fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and He said, come follow me. And the Bible says they left their nets, they left their livelihood, they left their business, they left their dad, and they left all of that, and they followed Him. They gave up everything. When Jesus went to Matthew, the tax collector, he shuttered his business or however that worked, and he followed him. You see, God's not looking just for our little one acts of service here and there, our little, little good deed for the day, our little check-the-box kind of thing. He's looking for all of us. He's looking for our, our heart and our complete devotion, 24-7, 365. He's looking for a life that says, I'm going to follow Jesus. Wherever He goes, I'm going to go. Now, He's telling them, gang, I'm about to be crucified. 
And where I'm going, you're going to follow too. That's a whole part of us being willing to take up our own cross and follow our, our Lord as we serve Him will cost us our, our life, ultimately everything. But He's not looking for our little, little good deeds, our little good little actions for the day, our little pats on the back. Oh, I did a good job today. We have to be careful that, you know, growing up, if I don't know how your mom or your dad or however you grew up, they rolled, if they put a little sticker on the fridge whenever you did a good job, or if you had a chart, if you did enough good things, you got a piece of candy at the week, you know, great manipulation tool, you know, <laughs> truly at all as it is. It's the same strategy, by the way, of raising dogs, so I'm, I'm not sure that, I don't know, I somehow think kids are smarter than dogs. I'm not sure that fully works, but that's another conversation another day, but you know, sometimes we carry that whole thing over even into our Christian faith. Oh, God, look what a good little boy I am today because I did this little thing. Look how I helped this. Look how I did that. And God's like, yeah, I see that service, but I'm looking for your heart. I'm looking for you to follow me. I'm looking for everything you've got, son. This is more than you just doing a little act, good deed or a little act of kindness. I'm looking for all of it. I'm not looking for a little piece of it. I'm looking for all of it. So Jesus is challenging us this morning in our faith and our act of worship with Him. Are we genuinely giving Him everything? Or are we just dabbling? You know, I went to church, you know, this week or this month. I'm, I'm good. I did this little thing, did a little that little thing. We kind of, sometimes we can treat our Christian faith almost like going in the ocean or cold water, like dip our toe in the pills, whoo, you know. And if you're like me, it's kind of like, I'm in far enough, right? You know, kind of keep it here and just like, that's enough. Sometimes we treat that. And God says, no, you got to go all in. Service through following. Fourth paradox. And I'm done. It's honor through service. He completes verse 26 and he says, and where I am there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We live in a culture and a world that consciously and unconscious, we think that whoever is serving is somehow not as smart, not as, I don't know, effective, that they're somehow lower. And Jesus says, no, when you're my followers, you need to see service as actually the place of honor. It's honor through service. Like later on, I won't, won't share this this week because it's for next week's passage, but Jesus says, yeah, part of your problem is you're just looking honor for other people, from other people, and you don't want the honor that comes from me. You know what honors, what God honors? He honors acts of service. He honors people that are willing to sacrifice and give themselves that are not looking to be honored. I get nervous, honestly, when I see people looking for that that honor and that position or that title. I'd be real transparent with you. I'd kind of take a couple steps back and leave them alone. Because God wants us to have a heart that just gives. And any honor that needs to happen, let it be what God does and not what we do. I'm not saying that it's wrong to recognize and be thankful and that kind of thing. It's absolutely appropriate to do those things as people. But there's something wrong in our heart when we're trying to seek out that place of honor with those around us, when we want to rise to that position. 
instead of saying, you know what? My job's just very simple. I'm supposed to follow and serve Jesus. And if along the way God wants to honor something, so be it. But my job, I'm just a lowly servant that follows my Lord and that serves Him. And as a result of serving Him, I serve people around us. We see service as almost demeaning and humiliating in certain contexts. There's a piece of it, you know, that we say, you know, serving the community. I'm not talking about church, like our law enforcement, that kind of thing that's socially acceptable. But if we really step back, there's a lot of spheres of life where that service almost seems as a demeaning thing and not as a place of honor. But with God, it's a paradox. It's, he honors that service. And think about that for a minute. Here, the God of heaven is standing up, as it were, and honoring you and me. That's crazy. We live in a world where people like to honor each other. Graduation season, everybody's honoring everybody, and we love accolades. We like to give accolades because we like to get accolades back and all of that. And, and here the God of heaven himself steps in when you and I serve and give our life that way. And our future, that, that honor gets never taken away for all of eternity. This morning, the Christian life is a life of paradox. It's not a life of just uh, happiness and whatever, but it's, it's a life where we deny ourselves, and we're willing to endure, we're willing to go without, we're willing to make our life about everything but us, and to make it all about our Lord. When you go into the workplace, it's all about you making much of Jesus in your life. And if that's just you living out and being a good, faithful employee, then so be it. But it's you and I not trying to be about ourselves. It's, it's fruitfulness. And it's about a focus of letting God use us in the lives of other people. It's, it's ultimately about us living by rejecting what the world has to offer. Is there something in the world, like right now, right now what would be the hardest thing for you to give up? Or the two or three hardest things to give up? Are you loving those too much? Have you allowed your heart to settle in there? Where in your life are you seeking honor and position or recognition that doesn't necessarily mean to be on a stage, but maybe you're trying to be a somebody in somebody else's mind instead of just simply being willing to serve and to bless and letting the honor be with God and God alone and let Him figure out what's appropriate and what's not. Where are you just dabbling in your Christian faith of your expression and you're not really fully following and going all in? Those are the things that Jesus is challenging us with this morning. So as we look, as Jesus knows, He's about to go to the cross. These are the messages that He's trying to get across to His disciples. As they look at the cross, that's what should be in their mind. So appropriate for this morning, because as we celebrate our Lord's table together, we remember, as we are going to participate in just a minute in our communion and, and the Lord's Supper, that these are the things that Jesus wants us to think about as we remember so it's remembering that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again, that our sins are forgiven, and we have a new life in Him. And it's 100% about remembering that. But it's also remembering 
that we have a responsibility to follow, to not love this world, and to love what God has in our life, to not make much of this, be willing to deny ourselves. That means you may be going through a difficult time or hardship right now, and you're like, I don't know why. And it may just be simple that God's teaching you to deny yourself in the middle of this. That might be all that it is. And if so, it's for your own good. God will be gracious, and He'll love you through it, and He'll take care of you in it, and He'll help you, but it will grow you. That Getting used to that denying yourself and that suffering, it's kind of like a... You have to grow in that. It's almost like... Um, it's almost like a spiritual training, if you will. I'm hoping this summer to take uh, the hike the Northville Placid Trail. It's like 130 miles, and we'll take my kids on it if we're able to do it. I'm at the age of life where I'm now the dead weight. I'm the I'm the I'm like Dad's got to go because you know I got to get my training. And you just don't get up and hike 10 miles with a full pack on just overnight. And that's kind of what the denying yourself and suffering is. There's a training aspect to it that God just a little more and more teaches us and makes us go through that. And He's building our spiritual stamina and He's stripping us of the junk in the world and He's growing us in that. So maybe that's an explanation of why you're going through what you're going through. But what's God trying to speak into your soul this morning as we celebrate His table? That's what He wants us to get as we celebrate that He died on the cross for us and rose again. 